Hey, Britton. Hey, Sean. How you doing? Well, I'm doing a podcast. How about you? Same. Let's, uh, do you want to play the word association game with me? (laughs) I would love to. You know what that is, right? I do. I say a word, first thing that comes to mind or whatever. Right. Sunday. School. Grimace. Purple. Fry kids. (laughs) Tasty. Oh. McNugget buddies. (laughs) What? Is that your answer? What? (laughs) Yeah, that's my answer. That's my answer. Finally, Hamburglar. Um, Stripes. Dear listener, it's McDonald Land Universe on episode two of Middling Delights. Welcome to Middling Delights, a podcast series that explores weird and wonderful pop culture obscurity from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. These Swinging for the Fences stories feature interviews, special segments, and more. And now, your host, Sean Hutchinson. With Britton Taylor. Wow. (laughs) Wow. That's your first time hearing it. I am, uh, yeah, I'm I'm honestly, I'm juggling a lot of different emotions right now. On one hand... I'm blown away by the production values. Like it makes it feel like this is a legitimate substantive podcast. Yeah. That's what we were going for. For our one listener. And um, on the other hand, I'm a bit disappointed because I thought we were still open to the idea of if it being stranger things, oh. which I thought was a really great title. Well, that's great. Well, why don't we bring in Matt? Why don't we well, let me, let me, oh, okay. well, I wasn't done actually because oh, okay. yes, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I feel like you seem to get top billing in the intro and the music. And then I feel like a bit of like an afterthought. Uh, so I don't yeah. know if that's something we can address. What did you think of the voice talent? Did you recognize the voice talent? I didn't. I honestly couldn't tell who it was. That's our good but. friend, singer, songwriter, Mo Phillips. Yeah, that was incredible. I'd love was. to get a second opinion. I led you to water there, That's of fine. course. That was a bit of a gag. But I would like to get Matthew D. Hutchinson on the line here to give his impressions. Matthew, are you there? I'm here. I'm available for correspondence or general inquiries. I like the intro, a lot of energy. I think it really draws the listener in. And I want a longer version, maybe three or four times as much as my only note. I was thinking maybe we should change the VO a little bit. Mo got a little breathy in there. And I feel like we need some female representation, uh, maybe like a woman VO. I don't know. But it's a work in progress. We're going to keep fine tuning it. But Britt and I heard your note and thank you. We'll mix it up. We'll mix it up. Maybe we could try a different one each week and then just layer them all together on the final week. That's what I was thinking, actually. I was thinking of just kind of a progression Yeah, maybe we can try some stuff where it feels like you and I kind of share equal, you know, standing as co-hosts. You know what? I want to talk to you about that because I really wanted to kind of debrief episode one a little bit. 
you know, it's kind of a corporate episode today with talking about McDonald land and I know debrief is kind of corporate ease. I mean, what are your feelings about peer reviews and that kind of thing? 360s they're sometimes called. Are you a fan? I can't say I'm a, a huge fan. They seem to be roundly despised. Yeah. But I did want to do a bit of a debrief and maybe gamify it a little bit. So I've made up this game. It's called Sorry Sucker. And so what it is, is it starts with an earnest statement of contrition from me. And then I will give you some honest feedback about the show last time. And we're going to do that live right now. Episode two. Yeah, this is happening. Okay. Um, I mean, I can already feel like the momentum of this podcast like is sta- it's staggering. This is where we're going to change it because okay. Okay. I took a very aggressive tone in saying like, you know, you don't get to see the show notes and whatnot and not giving you all the information of the show. So I wanted to just say that I am sorry for that and that that kind of put us off on more of an antagonistic vibe than I really wanted to go for. Yeah. And so I want to start bringing you in more. We're going to give you advance notice on all the guests now and work towards showing you the show notes. Because I think, you know, if we can keep the Captain Planet stuff down to a minimum, then that would be, you know, the right time to do that. Are you ready for the honest feedback? Uh, well, uh, uh, I mean, I, I appreciate your, your candor, of course. I noticed you tried to sort of squeeze that Captain Planet blurb in there at the end. I just want to make it clear to everyone on the pod that I'm very much looking forward to doing several episodes on Captain Planet. Yes, episode five and six. That was sort of the thing that I was I actually wanted to do a whole podcast about Captain Planet. And, I feel and like it was your idea. Yeah. That point of view has been sort of ignored. Right. Expository for yeah. folks who hadn't listened to the first episode. I hear you. I'm working on myself for sure. And I still do the things even like right after I was in the middle of apologizing for it. So would you like to hear the honest feedback now? Sure. You said GD it under your breath one time during the show and it was barely audible. I just wanted to, you know, give you a reminder that while that's not forbidden by the FCC, it's frowned upon. Okay, I didn't know we were going for like a PG rating. Yeah, cool it's, it with the language. Just cool it with the language. <laughs> I <laughs> Not think, a big deal. Uh, yeah, we're going for clean. Also, thank you, Matt, for that support. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's what I say at the playground to kids when I hear. Are you when guys? I hear that kind are of you language. guys? Uh, are you guys related? Well, that's something I wanted to talk about. It's actually just one person speaking in slightly different voices. To you, Matthew, I say that you may have felt relegated as well, a similar complaint of Britain's. And I know we had a problem behind the scenes with a line. So our guest, Drew Kane, you weren't able to speak with directly because we only had so many recording lines. And you and Drew are great friends. And I'm sorry if you felt in any way like your was less important. No, I, I, I consider this um, your polar expedition and you are the Shackleton of the ship. 
and I'm just one of Shackleton's cooks or possibly a carpenter. That's very generous. I did have one piece of honest feedback for you. Oh, please. Yeah. I loved the haikus. There was a moment when you were going into one, you got really excited and you actually clicked your pen while you were talking. Hmm. And we weren't able to remove that from the audio. I noticed that as well. I noticed that too. There's a pen click. So just take the note. Yeah, it'll never happen again. Appreciate that. We have so much material to get through. I'm really excited about this show. The topic, as we mentioned, is McDonald land. And normally this is where I would invite our producer, Mike Kane, to kind of give us a quick rundown of the show. Unfortunately, Mike couldn't be here today. The corporate overlords called him out. He said his EVP scheduled a big meeting. Do you know what an EVP is? Uh, Executive vice president. In my corporate deck of cards, where does the EVP line up when I play like a senior VP? Oh, I think EVP is above SVP. Oh. That's my take. Well, this is an education. So, Matt, I wanted you to maybe fill in for Mike, if I could just bounce the topic off of you and the guest and this little rundown. We're talking about McDonald Land, which was a fantasy world used in the marketing of McDonald restaurants during the 70s through the 90s. I know that you have personal experience with McDonald Land. We're not going to say why or how I know that. <laughs> yeah, I have some very powerful first-person experiences within McDonald Land. I don't want to say too much right away. Right, because we've got your special correspondent segment coming up, but it touched commercials, video games, action figures, VHS cassettes, all of it during those decades. And we're going to touch on those as well. And I'm very excited that we have Sophia Cheyenne today, who's a performing artist, and it works as the inclusion director of Little People America, and also the co-chair of the Dwarf Artist Coalition. So, Britton, you did get some heads up on her joining us today, and I hope you have some thoughtful questions for her when we get there. Absolutely. And then, Matt, tell us a little bit about what your segment's going to be about today. Well, I'm going to explore the secondhand market, mostly online, for existing McDonald Playland, which we'll talk about some more structures. It's surprisingly rich community of buyers and sellers mm-hmm. of such structures as the Grimace Bounce and Bend. Also, sometimes referred to as the Grimace Jail and many more that I'll save for the correspondence. But the deeper I got into it, the more I found it hard to extract myself from this world of buyers and sellers. Man, I feel the same way about this whole McDonald land universe, I think we can call it, because it was like another land. If you watch the earliest 70s commercial, it debuted in January 1971. And Britton, you know a bit about advertising. You're our expert. This was the agency Needham, Harper, and Steers. You ever heard of them out of Chicago? They became acquired by DDB Worldwide. But the commercials were very popular with kids during Saturday morning programming. It had upbeat bubblegum pop music and a narrator. And for those who don't know, because there's a whole generation out there that didn't grow up with McDonald Land the way that we did... Ronald McDonald foiled villains like the Hamburglar, Evil Grimace, who had six arms in his original incarnation, and Captain Crook and the Professor. They all were tied to certain foods, so Captain Crook was the filet fish 
the professor was the fries. And of course, there was also helping Ronald officer Big Mac and Mayor McCheese. And Mayor McCheese, incidentally, was an actor doing an Ed Wynn impersonation, who's most famous as the Mad Hatter in the Disney Alice in Wonderland, but he goes back to the 30s as a radio personality. So that Ed Wynn character, I think people still do impersonation. You know the sound, right? Britain, the Mad Hatter in Disney. It's kind of a kooky, older, mixed up guy. I might, I might need you to, <laughs> to you know, act it out for me if you could. I will record that. How, how does it go? It's kind of like a Scooby laugh kind of thing, right? Like, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is a kind of a vocally up and down. It's kind of like a voice cracking effect. Yeah. That's right. Remco, you know, jumped on the popularity of the McDonald Land in 1976. This is a toy company. Have you guys ever heard of Remco? They did a lot of licensing of pop culture properties in the 60s and 70s. So there would be the Monkees or Brady Bunch would have toys. They actually put out a product line all the way into 1992 with Terminator 2 Rock'em Sock'em Robots. But they were bought by Azric Hamway in 74 and some collectors, as Matt's mentioned, it's a whole world out there. They deride them for the label slapping that they would do after the company changed hands. And so they would not be fully faithful to the properties. So for instance, the most egregious example was a Star Trek space fun helmet, which was just a visor with pullout antenna and a rotating siren light with came with a sticker sheet. So you could put like a Captain Kirk or Spock sticker on there. But anyways, we mentioned in that first episode about Sid and Marty Croft, the lawsuit was Sid and Marty Croft Television Productions versus McDonald Lands Corp. That was resolved in 77. Sid and Marty claimed plagiarism of their show because, well, they found that Mayor McCheese was infringing on the copyrighted character H.R. Puff and stuff. And if you look at side-by-side photos, you'll notice distinct similarities. And also with the whole talking trees, the enchanted forests, the world that Ronald McDonald inhabited was very similar to the Sid and Marty Croft world. So, Britton, have you studied any copyright law? Uh, Yeah, extensive, extensive study of copyright law. Took a few classes in college about, no, I haven't studied any of it. Oh, no. I'm more of a hobbyist. I don't study seriously, but I like to get in there and just... uh, Play around it comes up a lot, doesn't it? It's very quizzical, the whole copyright landscape. But this was an important case because it expanded the definition of the gray area of abstraction through the use of extrinsic and intrinsic tests. Extrinsic is, would an expert say that this, in looking at, say, the commercial, that this was something that was an infringement on an existing expression of an idea. An intrinsic one is, would a common person say, oh, yeah, that looks like that, you know? So, from the decision, they found that the living island locale of Puff and Stuff and McDonald are both imaginary worlds inhabited by anthropomorphic plants and animals and other fanciful creatures. This is direct. Both works feature a forest with talking trees that have human faces and characteristics. Both lands are governed by mayors who have disproportionately large round heads dominated by long, wide mouths. Both lands feature a multi-armed evil creature. It seems clear that such similarities go beyond merely that of idea into the area of expression. Wow. So you're saying 
McCheese versus Puff and Stuff was a landmark case in copyright law. Yeah, in the colloquial parlance, yes. And <laughs> while it started as a $50,000 award, they went through appeals and later raised it to $1,044,000. This takes us through kind of the 70s. Can I actually ask a question? I hadn't heard of some of those characters it seems to be like a pretty strong like crime and punishment vibe going on with some of these characters there's captain crook and the hamburglar there's a lot of crime that seems to be happening in mcdonaldland i wonder if anyone put some thinking together on that there has been and we're going to talk a little bit about the playgrounds later because there's actually a climb in jail that was the officer big mac character so I don't want to steal Matt's thunder on If that, I can but. jump in, yeah, I'll just say that there was a, a lot of law enforcement and criminals and jails and on the playground was where that really came to life for young kids like myself and I remember it quite well. And there has been some writing on the fact that these playgrounds were often areas where there weren't parks otherwise. But let's talk about some of the changes that happened in the 80s and 90s because of the court okay. case. They had to reduce the cast and get rid of some of the more offending characters. So that's why you saw Mayor McCheese, Officer Big Mac, and Captain Crook retired in 1985. And there was more focus on Grimace, the Hamburglar, and the French Fry Goblins, which later became Fry Guys and later Fry Kids, when they added the Fry Girls. But Birdie the Early Bird did the breakfast, and the Happy Meal Gang were little puppet hamburger heads, McNugget Buddies came along with new items that were geared towards kids. Matt, there's some other merchandise, I don't know, from personal history or not that you might remember, but McDonald Fun Times was a magazine they put out. And it was the six issues a year. And they had a direct-to-video release, The Adventures of Ronald McDonald, Ronald McDonald Treasure Island in 1989. And they even had a Nintendo game, MC Kids, by Virgin Interactive. Ronald McDonald's Treasure Land was a year later on Sega Genesis, 93. Did you ever encounter any of those video games, the McDonald's? I'm just impressed by the sort of ambition to keep going with each new media form. I was all over the Nintendo Entertainment System, but I don't remember MC Kids. So the fact that they doubled down on the McDonald's Treasure Land adventure for the Sega Genesis, really, really staggering to me. <laughs> It is. Yeah, I think so. Hey, like I Hey, uh, Sean, that. I don't Yeah. Sean, if you don't mind, like I'm just curious, like I thought Matt was like a special correspondent and he had like one segment where he would come in and do his thing and then kind of disappear. It seems like we've added him as like a third co-host. Okay, noted. It's a fair question. And um, hey man, I can hash it out here or we can, you know, take it offline. But I, I feel like I've earned the place at the table. Well, I mean, maybe. You know, part of it is that we're missing Mike. And so everyone's a little bit confused about their roles. Let me just scoot through some stuff, you know? Okay, okay. 349 was the price for the direct-to-video series, The Wacky Adventures of Ronald McDonald. And you could buy it with a vanilla ice cream or a Diet Coke. Do you want to know who the people behind this was? It was... Klasky Zupo, the animation company that featured Gabor Zupo, the Hungarian animator. And they did Rugrats. 
And do you like The Simpsons, Britton? Sure. Yeah. They also did The Simpsons original shorts for Tracy Ullman show. Wow. Seasons one through three. Great. So anyways, that had a real Pee Wee's Playhouse vibe. And it had Mark and Bob Mothersbaugh from Devo do the composing. It also guest starred some folks like Carol Kane and Richard Mole, you might remember, from the 80s. Princess Bride and Night Court. And also, Vern Troyer was Ronald's dog Sunday. Wow. Yeah. There's a nice production still of him with the top of the costume off. But Sunday was always having to be encouraged by Ronald. And they would enter into little animated segments. So we're going to have links to all this stuff on our website one of these days. And then Leo Burnett, the ad agency. How did you pronounce that? <laughs> say, say it for me. <laughs> Leo Burnett? What is it? <laughs> Leo Burnett. Leo Burnett. <laughs> they came in with I'm loving it. And that's kind of where the McDonald Land characters ended in the 2000s. But you could still find them on some of the packaging, the circus cookies on the play places. But they wanted to do more. And I guess it was a competition between ad agencies where there were some proposed that would be cartoon versions of the characters intermixed with live action. But that got scrapped. Huh. So I want to talk a little bit about Grimace. He's the character of most fascination for me. Sure. There's been an internet debate about what Grimace is. Do you guys know what Grimace is supposed to be? He is a great. Matt, do you have a guess? Yeah, I wondered this in my research of the play structures because Grimace comes up in a few different forms. And I, I kind of thought maybe he's like a amorphous nebula like a like a gaseous cloud made manifest in physical form i think that there is a character like that later that maybe comes with the mc kids video game that is kind of a slimer type character from ghostbusters that's like a digital effect that bounces around but the nebulae thing you're kind of close because there is theories like if you view taste buds through microscopy that there's thousands of little grimaces on our tongue and that he is a taste bud. Oh. Whoa. And then <laughs> McDonald's in a tweet in the 2010 said, well, some people say that and others say he's the embodiment of a shake. And there was also an Irish grimace that they would do for March, St. Patrick's Day. I think they would have like a mint flavored shake. Oh, man, we are way over time. <laughs> I have too much information. So I'm just going to skip ahead and we can talk about the Hamburglar campaign where he came back in an adult-themed millennial pitch in the 2015s. At Eliza Bain called it Mumford and Buns. <laughs> so a notable actor's call out. Have you guys ever heard of this voice actor, Frankie Welker? No. He played several McDonaldland characters, but Britain, he also voiced Captain Planet. What? Yeah. He was Tank Flusher 3, Sly Sludge's cohort or henchman. And he also did Shmoo, but his most famous role is Fred from Scooby-Doo. He did a ton of Fred from Scooby-Doo and also he was Megatron. Wow. So he was Fred up until I think this last Scoob title. 
Zoinks, Scoob. <laughs> Maybe we can get him on. Also, I wanted to give a shout out to Frank Delfino, who passed in 97, but he played the Hamburglar from 71 to 92. And he also had film credits in Planet of the Apes, the original, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings. Have you guys seen that in a few years? The animated 78? Yes. It holds up, doesn't it? It does. It's great. I really liked it. I really liked it. But he and his wife, Sadie, would be stand-ins for child actors. So they were actually stand-ins for Bobby and Cindy on The Brady Bunch. And they were in a extraterrestrial's dream sequence in the final season. This was before jumping the shark of Happy Days, but I think they jumped the shark like five or six times on that season. Jerry Marin also played the Hamburglar and Officer Big Mac, and he was a member of the original Lollipop Guild. He also appeared in Bad News Bears Go to Japan and Where the Buffalo Roam, which was the Bill Murray, Hunter S. Thompson film, and Spaceballs. So he has a million credits, but those were some of the ones that I really liked. And he just died in 2018 at the age of 98. So he was the oldest surviving member from the cast of Little People in The Wizard of Oz. And he had a red bow tie and a cigar, and he wore those newsy hats. So I think this is a good time for us to segue into our interview with Sophia Cheyenne. Because I wanted to just, you know, give that shout out because a lot of times the actors cast don't get the same recognition. And we talked about Billy Barty, uh, Sid and Marty Croft also as well in the last episode. So, Sophia, thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, gentlemen. Can I call you gentlemen? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Think so. <laughs> Some of us. Stretch. Uh, it's semi stretch. It's a little bit earlier in the morning today than our last recording, but thank you for joining us. So, sure. you are a multidisciplinary performer and just multi-talented in general. Why don't you give our listener a little background about your varied professional roles? Sure. Absolutely. My name is Sophia Cheyenne. I'm going to give a visual description of myself for those that might need it. I am a mixed-raced, cisgendered, indigenous woman. I hail from the islands of Dominican Republic and Italy and Syria, among many other things. Today, I'm wearing a t-shirt that says, good vibes only, with some leggings, and my hair is in a messy bun. I am a performer, a teacher, a speaker, a disability advocate. I have dwarfism. I have a rare form of dwarfism. It's called spondyloepiphyseal dysplasia congenita. If you need the spelling for that, ask me later. But <laughs> the acronym is SEDC. So I have dwarfism, but I have a rarer form. So those folks that we've been talking about, like Billy Barty and Vern Troyer and some of these other folks with dwarfism, I have a very different type than them. Mm -hmm. The most common type is achondroplasia, which is usually what we've seen on TV and film. There's like several different types, right? Yes. So dwarfism kind of falls under uh, skeletal dysplasia as a condition uh -huh. or a diagnosis. So there's over 400 different types of skeletal dysplasias. And I think 
specifically dwarfism, there might be like over 200 different types. So it's the Wild West (laughs) and there's many, many different variations and those are all based on genes and gene differences. Yeah. Well, I found it interesting, you know, that as you mentioned, the diversity that you're the inclusion director, little people and people with dwarfism come from all walks of life. So I imagine in that role, you know, these are times where people might need a little guidance. Can you talk a little bit about what you do in that role? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a new role, actually. Little People of America is a nonprofit organization. It's a volunteer organization. It's been around for 60 plus years. Billy Barty started this organization. So we owe a lot of that to him. But yeah, now we're kind of at this standstill, you know, with people grappling diversity, equity and inclusion all of the isms, right? Like racism and sexism and ableism. It exists everywhere, even in diversity, right? Even in diverse pools of people. And so me as this inclusion director, our goal and my goal specifically is to help LPA be better at being diversity centered and access centered organizations. So we're really listening to people of color. And also, you know, people with dwarfism have other types of disabilities, like, you know, blind or low vision or hard of hearing. We kind of come with the mixed bags of things. And many of these things have not been addressed or talked about in the past in this organization. So as the inclusion director, it's really trying to like, level the playing field for everyone and make sure that, you know, the voices that haven't been heard for so long are centered now. That's good work. I think everybody kind of needs to check in from time (laughs) to time. But you talked about some of those acting roles that we mentioned. And I'm curious, you were in 90s kids, so you probably maybe saw some of these performances in reruns or whatnot. But nowadays, it wouldn't be the gold standard for representation, I would guess. Right. I think it's very interesting. You know, historically, this is what's interesting about dwarfism is historically, people with dwarfism have been in the entertainment industry forever, you know, Mm -hmm. since the beginning. But yes, a majority of the times we have, just as you just stated, Vern Troyer in a costume, right? Mm -hmm. And his face isn't seen. And so nobody forever, for the longest time, maybe until this podcast even comes out, would have not even known that Vern Troyer was the body in that suit. And so there's so many stories like that of dwarf actors where we are, you know, we're in the kids programs or we're in certain mythical fairy tale fantasy like type stories where our face is covered with a costume or prosthetics or our body ends up being deformed or changed. And unfortunately, what all of those things have done is create a stereotype and a stigma against folks with dwarfism. You know, someone like myself, I walk out on the street and because a majority of the world has been watching Hollywood and how people with dwarfism has been depicted as, you know, Willy Wonka's Oompa Loompas or the Lollipop Guild in The Wizard of Oz. You know, when I, as a regular person, go out on the street, I'm seen that way mm-hmm. by people because of what Hollywood has done in that way. I saw a really good short film about that mm-hmm. by a little person. I don't know, you might be familiar with it. There's been a couple of great documentaries about this out there. Well, some of those, you know, as you mentioned, tropes date back centuries even of the 
court jester to common day. And you yourself are an actor. And I'm just curious, are those calls still out there, you know, these days? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, that was sort of what I was going to get to. It's like, you know, as an actor today, I definitely don't see it as much, but it's still out there. I think the industry is confused. (laughs) They're confused as to what to do with someone like myself, someone with dwarfism or performer with dwarfism, because for so long, we've been so used to these tropes and these stories, which people buy into and watch. And I'm not saying that we can't have like fantasy and mythical creatures or storytelling, but when that's the only thing that people see and that's the only roles that I'm given, then you know, we have a problem that ends up finding its way into society. So today, I wouldn't say that I'm only offered those roles, but I have representation that has my back with that. You Mm -hmm. know, they're not just looking at any role that says dwarf woman or female dwarf. They're looking also at, oh, this person is a secretary at this office and Sophia can go for an audition. So there's a mixed bag of things, but I think there's still some pushback. And I think that there definitely are more opportunities for folks like myself to do the non, I hate to say it this way, but subhuman, non-human kind of characters versus the human characters. And we're still grappling with that as a community. Sophia, it's Britain. Hi. Thank you for being Hi, on the Brittany. podcast. Sure. I think you're going to actually make this episode somewhat redeemable based on the first half an hour of what <laughs> we recorded it, right? earlier. So thank you. Thank you for your honesty, Britton. Thank you. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. I'm curious, have there been any roles that have been monumental in changing the way in which people with dwarfism are perceived? The most notable one in recent years, of course, is Peter Dinklage in Game of Thrones. But of course, his character in the book is a dwarf. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious, have there have, have there been any... Station agent was awesome. Yeah, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Have there been any recent performances that you feel like have started to break away from the way in which, you know, people are cast and then perceived? I mean, right, what a great example. What you just said is, you know, Peter Dinklage an actor that started just like all of us actors, you know, with your one little representation and you're just hammering at the bit at the auditions, you know, his career, if you ever look at his early career, it's amazing to see how far he came. But yes, unfortunately, the case is that there are not many roles out there and there have not been in recent times. I think the only thing that I could equate to a quote-unquote, regular, normal kind of, like, you know, character that's not surrounding dwarfism or the otherness of a person is Meredith Eaton, who is the only female LP actress that's really made a huge name for herself. And she is in MacGyver. I think she used to be in NCIS and a lot of the law shows and the crime shows. And so she comes in as a totally regular person. She's been on TV for a very long time, though, and she's sort of the only one that's holding that space. So I don't know. I think the industry has trouble making room for more of us, you know, and for more of us to be seen in that light. But I do think Game of Thrones was a great breakthrough. I think Peter Dinklage is a talented person. 
you know, I'm not afraid to say it here. I personally wish that he was more of an advocate for our community. I think that with his wealth and his power and his privilege and persuasion, he could do a lot more than what he does. However, I do respect his choice to kind of hang back and do his thing. You know, everybody has a choice. But there aren't many roles where we're just seeing the humanity. It's still a big struggle. And I think it's really up to the producers to see the potential in that. Because there are casting directors, there are directors, and there are agents and managers that are willing to do that fight and willing to bust the door down. But at the end of the day, we need a producer to say yes. And unfortunately, that doesn't happen all the time. You know, when I asked you in our pre-call about good representation, kind of a similar question. You mentioned a podcast that you're fond of. Yeah, y'all should listen to I'm Kind of a Big Deal. (laughs) That's what the podcast is called. I'm Kind of a Big Deal. And it's hosted by Christoph Sajak. I think that's how you say his name. He is a little person. He is a person with dwarfism. And the only people on the podcast, all the interviewees are people with dwarfism. So if you want a firsthand experience, go and check that out. I think it's on all of your podcast places. And it's really great. And you know, you get to hear a lot of different perspectives. There's so much diversity in dwarfism. So it's a whole nother can of worms that you could, you know, jump into if you want. You mentioned, you know, the lack of female representation specifically. And yeah, I thought about that and it was like, wow, yeah, you never saw in this golden age of television, like women, actually. Nope. No women. There's none of us. We're here. I'm here. (laughs) Yeah. And I know some amazingly talented women that have dwarfism. A lot of folks on the West Coast kind of took the comedian actor route, which is brilliant and is awesome. And I think, you know, there's some people that I know, like Lila Hart and Selena, and I can't remember her last name, Selena's last name. But if you look those folks up, there's some badass women that tell funny jokes. (laughs) that will make you laugh. But yeah, there's a long road ahead of us as far as dwarfism and accurate representation and seeing the humanity in people. And that's a lot of the work I do. You know, I didn't think I was going to get into the advocacy route, but as I continued on in my journey as an actor and performer, I realized, wait a minute, like, Everyone's asking me questions, and I guess I have to answer them. So now I'm an advocate. We did the same thing. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your talents with us. Of course. I know you have an appointment. I just did have one other question for you. I was hoping you could give our listener a name. Give your listener a name? Yeah. Maybe help us develop a persona for our listener. It'd be nice to at least imagine this person. Yes. I am honored. Okay. Um, The name of the listener, I feel like maybe it should be. Oh my gosh, that's so much pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it should be. um, I don't know why, but I'm thinking of the word Chelsea. I don't know. That's Chelsea. Maybe Chelsea is your listener and oh, Chelsea great. is excited to hear more things. That sounds perfect to me. <laughs> I'm glad there's a woman in the mix. You know, I've been I tired know. of listening to all these dudes. I had to say a woman name. I mean, 
Come on. Yeah. If you learned anything about me in the last 15 minutes, I was going to be a woman name no matter what. <laughs> I was thinking a woman too. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, a non-gender specific name as well. Right. So thank you. We're going to build on that. We're going to work on <laughs> developing a whole persona around Chelsea and Amazing. got us kicked off. So we appreciate you. I think it's much more fun to say Chelsea than the one listener. It's really starting to paint a picture already. <laughs> <laughs> I want to plug in one quote, if you don't mind. This is a sure. quote from Billy Barty himself. And if you didn't catch that before, Billy Barty is an actor and he started Little People of America. Dr. Shrinker and also Sigmund the Sea Monster from our episode one. He was the actor there that performed go. those parts. Yeah. So this is a quote from him. And this is something that he said when he first started the organization. First and foremost, we are people. We aren't subhuman. We didn't leap from the pages of a storybook or from an enhanced forest. We are people with all the hopes, dreams, passions, and faults of everyone else. We are your brothers, we are your daughters, and we are your friends. And I just think that that's an amazing quote. Billy Barty really believed in the humanity of us. And if we just take a step every day to see the humanity in everyone, you know, we can try to make this world a little better. That's really nice. That's a wonderful sentiment. So thanks for having me, y'all. Thank you so much. And yeah, follow me on all the channels, Sophia Cheyenne, and we'll keep in touch, Sean. Thanks, everyone. Yep. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Let's go right into Matt's very special correspondence segment. I added the very there, Britton. Did that bother you a little bit? I mean, it seems like we were doing that segment the whole time, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, Matthew, I didn't grow up with Britain. Yes. But I like to imagine Britain on a McDonald's Land playground as a child. Mm. Just hopeful to one day find a environmentalist champion like Captain Planet who hadn't been invented yet. Maybe just looking up what sort of playground equipment might Britain have been seated upon at his local McDonald's. In the late to early 80s. Do we know? Well, yeah, I think we started to talk about this. And first, let me just preface by saying what a difficult act to follow, Sophia. <laughs> I'm going to oh, talk yeah. about retro playground crap. But yeah, within the McDonald's land experience out on the playground, you had physical exploratory structures that brought these characters into the actual interactive space of kids. And yeah, I spent a lot of time, I mean, a reasonable amount. I didn't live there, but I spent time on all of these structures, such as the Mayor McCheese roundabout, sort of a spinning device, like a traditional playground roundabout. Yeah. One of the most dangerous, even setting aside Mayor McCheese, those roundabouts are deadly for, I don't know, broken arms and things. Yeah. Highly concussive if you fall the wrong way and the bar swings back around. Yeah. There was a Hamburglar swing. Right. And then the Hamburglar's sidekick back then, Captain Crook, there was a spiral slide, which I remember quite vividly as like sort of like the centerpiece. You could climb to the top of a castle and touch Captain Crook's face and then slide down his slide. I have a funny anecdote about that slide. We don't have time. Yeah, we do. I grew up in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. It's you know, a small town and McDonald's is a pretty big deal. And I remember my brother and my brother is four years younger than I. 
And we actually went to McDonald's to eat and my parents were out of town. I don't know where they were, but we were with a family friend. You know, he was probably three years old. And I remember he was sliding down that very slide you were talking about, Matt, and he had an accident in his pants. Mm. And he um, he pooped all the way down the slide. And I remember this poor woman had to run inside and get some napkins to try to clean up you know, the brown streak that spiraled all the way down the slide. Thank you for painting that vivid picture. Yeah, no problem. Something tells me that would have made Captain Crook very happy, the captain himself, for chaos to reign on his slide. I'd like to think so. Absolutely. I'll go ahead and kind of round this out. The crown pieces of the playground for me were always the grimace. I believe it's called officially the bounce and bend, but it was sort of a circular jail-like structure on big suspension springs that you could like bounce around in, but it sort of had this jail feeling to it. And then the officer Big Mac climb in jail to me was truly the best. And I remember spending time in there, basically the mouth of officer Big Mac had bars that imprisoned you (laughs) as you looked down at the other kids. And it was like a Statue of Liberty kind of experience where you could climb up the tower through the middle and then look out through the mouth jail of Officer Big Mac. We'll have some pictures and links online so that people can visualize this if they're not familiar. But Is that on the site that we haven't made yet? That's correct. But when they hear this, it'll be made, right? Fingers crossed. What I did was <laughs> I got a one-month free subscription. So we got to just hurry up and get them all up there. Hopefully, it'll have some staying power understand that, Matt, you've maybe done a little research. Are these items still available for sale? Yeah, I did some poking around and right this moment, if some of these rides sparked a memory for you, you can get on the McDonald's Playland structure marketplace on the internet and still find some of these in various states of disrepair or restoration. And I was going to give you a little rundown of some of my highlights from what I found. If we have the time, you guys are into that. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, I'll start kind of low. I did a rating system based on, you know, the value, the condition, and just the overall experience of what you'd be buying. Instead of five stars, it's going to be a five dipping sauce rating system. Wow. Number one on my list, we're going to start low. It's the filet fish Rocker. It's in a pretty bad state of disrepair. It's from Longmont, Colorado. If you're there, shipping is very expensive. I think you should buy local if you can get these possibly local. No character really to speak of. It's just the filet fish sort of mer hamburger with a sort of mermaid tail. How's the paint finish? Yeah, the paint is, is not good. Right there in the description, it says it needs a refurb. So, you're going to have to find a Mer hamburger refurbisher, preferably experienced, to put in some hours and get it back to showroom condition. I know a guy. If anybody wants, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's three hundred and fifty, which is kind of a deal in the marketplace here. So I've given it a rating of three point nine dipping sauces. That might be a little bit generous. Oh, that's pretty high. That's pretty high, I would think. Strictly for the value, if you want a piece of McDonald Land history, you can't do much better than three fifty. Okay. I very well remember there was a series of chairs and I'll just group these into one category, but they were more like themed chairs. They didn't do anything. You would just sort of sit there 
maybe in a timeout if you abuse the other structures too much play. There's a Grimace chair in Marysville, Washington that's in quite good condition. Just a little bit of paint wear on Grimace's pupil. Or if he's a taste bud, as they said, I guess it's one of his bud eyeball, taste bud eyeballs. That's $900, but they're taking your highest offer as well. Marysville, Washington, not too far. That's Washington State. Yes, we're all stationed in Portland here, Oregon. Yeah. And then a companion piece, if you were trying to put those together, there's just the cheeseburger stool. Again, no character to speak of. You're talking about stool, an object to be sat upon, not the Yeah, not the Captain Crook slide kind, but the actual object to sit on, yeah. But the cheeseburger stool is in Kearney, Nebraska. And by comparison, that one has an asking price of $1,025. Hmm. That seems a bit steep. So for this reason, both of these, they're not very interactive. I don't have very many nostalgic memories of these chairs. I'm going to give them one and a half dipping sauces. Yeah, that doesn't ring a bell. If you really are, you know, a McDonald land head and want to add to your collection, maybe you could pick one of these up and your deep pockets. Britton, I think you would probably have your eye on my next item. It's the Captain Crook Spiral Slide Topper. And I'm happy to report to you guys that it's a bit of a buyer's market on these. I've found about three or four. I don't know why. Maybe because of the high placement of these. They're in good shape. There's not a lot of wear and tear on any of the three that I've seen across the country. And it's got the captain with his eyes cast downward at the playing children below and his signature pirate's hat with a big C on it, perhaps another plagiarism case with the Captain Crunch character. Very, very evocative. There are definitely connections between a lot of different ideas prevalent of the time. I got to say, this one really takes me back, Matt. It's time for another anecdote from yours truly. My fraternity, actually, and maybe you're surprised that I was in a fraternity, but yes, I was. Not at all. Okay, not at all. All right. We had one of these toppers. We called him the captain at our fraternity, and he was kind of like our fraternity's mascot. And so, as pledges, we would take the captain around everywhere with us, would take pictures with him wherever we went on our adventures. So, if there's some group looking to, you know, consolidate funds and, you know, share the cost. Absolutely. That's fun. Yeah. That's a good idea, like some sort of 4-H club or anywhere that a group of people could. <laughs> Clearly, the first example being a 4-H club where you could pool your resources, get one for the house. Well, I think maybe create a park, you know, that could be yeah. worthy of some sort of badge for a scout. I like these ideas. Did we make it through or are there any other items up for bids? Well, I'm going to mention one more. The Grimace Bounce House, as I spoke of earlier, is sort of this jail-like structure. Yeah, I remember that one. There's one in DeKalb, Illinois. It seems like there's a big seller in DeKalb, Illinois. Well, that's Hmm. where they originated in Illinois at the 1972 State Spring Fair in Springfield. Not far. Wow. It could be that that's where the beating heart of McDonald's Playland sculpture is located. The first one was in Chula Vista, California, shortly thereafter, added a franchise. So this one, I do remember spending a lot of hours in. We didn't have a lot of public parks near our house for sort of suburban early 80s, but I remember the Playland was where I went to, you know, go play. And the Grimace Bounce, you get a couple of kids in there, that was a really good time in there. I can remember knocking my front tooth until it was numb 
on one of the bars, you know, being too <laughs> close up to the bars and then starting it with a good shake and then having it come back and hit me in the face. And yeah. I remember that quite vividly. I don't know if they were like tractor, like suspension springs on the bottom of it, but it had a real whip to it. If you weren't paying attention, it could absolutely take a tooth out. It seems like the market for these items is pretty strong. I don't know if I'm looking at the same link here on the internet, but $3,000. 3000 And that thing, I mean, it's a robust structure, about eight or nine feet tall. This specimen in particular seems to have been underwater for a decade or two. Based on the appearance, they're still asking three grand, which is, wow, it's a testament to the power of nostalgia. I got a hot tip for you guys. Gresham High School out here east of Portland, right across from the soccer field, there's a private residence over there that's got a Officer Big Mac. And I think there's another one. I think it's a Grimace. And... Maybe do that move where you just go to the owner and say a nice handwritten note. Hey, if you're ever interested in selling. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Sean, because there's one last one I'll say I could not find. So I'd say it's very much a seller's market for the Officer Big Mac climbing jail. I found an article about one for sale in New Zealand a few years back, but I'm assuming that's not current anymore. And I'll add to your anecdote that there's one off of the I-7585 connector highway on the way to the Atlanta airport. You can see clearly as you drive to the airport. Next time you're in Atlanta, just rent a car if you're in the market and swing by and see if that one's ever going to be on for sale. Maybe Mike Kane, as he returns, as we onboard him to his producing duties, could come up with like a geotagging game that we could put on the website where it's kind of like Pokemon Go. What do you guys think of this? Like, just like a web app? Maybe we get into some web app developments? Yeah, like a tracker. I mean, we haven't even been able to put a website together, much less an app. <laughs> so, maybe we start small and we'll work our way up from there. Well, I know that you're going to give me a lot of help. Gentlemen, we have a lot of editing to do on this episode. But <laughs> before we go, I did want to say we are coming right back in another week and... We will be talking about the amusement park Enchanted Forest, which is mm. out here in Turner, Oregon. And it's another fanciful land. We've had Sid and Marty Croft. We've had McDonald Land. We're on our way to Captain Planet, but we have a unique story to tell here in Turner, Oregon. So I hope that our listeners. Which episodes? Chelsea, which episodes again? Did you say we're going to be talking Captain Planet specifically? Just so I can hold you to something or anything? Episodes five and six will be Captain Planet. Captain Planet had a break in production between, I think, 92 and 95. And so it came back totally reformatted. So it was gone for a year or so. So that's five and six. Episode three is coming up next, Enchanted Forest. And we have Susan Vaslev, who is part of the Tufty family that runs the park and also an accomplished musician. And we'll get into more of that the next time. So I hope Chelsea enjoyed the show. Yeah. Thanks for listening, Chelsea. If I could give you guys a little assignment for next time, maybe we can develop that persona a bit as a team building exercise. Okay, great. I think Chelsea had a good time. I don't want to speak for her, but you know, that's what she came for. She was definitely into the copyright stuff. I know for sure. I feel like she learned something. Yes. We're all lifelong learners. Yeah, for sure.
Britton, would you like to come up with a sign off? I want to really get you more, get you more in so that we're on the same team a bit more. Would you like to be the guy that okay. does the sign off? Yeah, I mean, I was listening to what Matt was saying earlier, and he said the phrase highly concussive, which feels like how people probably feel when they listen to this. Like some kind of jingle. It's like highly concussive. Sort of like it's magically delicious, but it's highly concussive.